thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. You know, we, the two major religious holidays, Christian holidays, Easter and Christmas, now, we don't know when Jesus was actually born. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't in the wintertime. And, uh, <clears throat> and, but uh, so we know, pretty sure it wasn't on December 25th, but we know when Easter was, and it was this time of year. What did Ron say? It was the first um, full moon. What did you say? First full moon after the equinox, the... the uh, vernal equinox. And so we know when that was, and we know it was this time of the year. And we know, I know, I believe that the Easter, that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was the, was the most important event in all of human history. Uh, if it is not true that Jesus was raised from the dead, then he's just another victim of Roman uh, crucifixions. And there were a lot of them. If it is true, if it is true that Jesus was raised from the dead, then that makes him God. No less than God. Cannot be anybody else. And he has power over death. And he has authority over our lives. And, what we, sh and we should pay close attention to his teachings. And we should submit to him as Lord of our lives. We ignore him at our eternal peril. You know, a lot of people in politics and religion, they kind of believe what they want to believe. And that's comfortable, but it's not necessarily true. Sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not true. But just because you want to believe it, just because it sounds good to you, doesn't mean it works. And, 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 and we're not allowed the luxury, though, in this arena of believing what we want to believe about whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not. <clears throat> and I challenge you, I challenge you to look at the evidence. Whoops, went the wrong way. <laughs> I want you to know out up front that a lot of the information that I got for this lesson was out of this book written by Lee Strobel called The Case for the Resurrection. Lee Strobel was a skeptic. In fact, I believe he was just a downright atheist and a hedonist. And he was the, edit the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune newspaper. And he saw how important evidence was in a trial, or evidence was in life. And, uh, and, and, and when his wife became a believer in Christ, and he saw the change in her life, he decided that he needed to investigate the evidence about whether Jesus was real or not, about whether Jesus really rose from the dead or not, and about the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, Let's look at this evidence. There is evidence about Jesus raising from the dead. 
And you know, I, I believe, I believe what I believe a lot of, because I was born and raised in the church, and I was taught to believe things because the Bible tells me so. But a lot of people are not that way. A lot of people don't necessarily believe the Bible and put, put their faith in it. And this lesson is for you who do believe to strengthen your faith and strengthen your confidence in what you believe. And, in, and it's a lesson for you who don't believe. And I hope that the evidence shown in this lesson will bring you to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're entitled to your opinions, but you're not entitled to, to your own facts. Facts are truth, and truth will set you free. Fact number one, there was a Jesus of Nazareth. That cannot be denied. In addition to the Bible, there is testimony from many historians of the time who were Christians and who were not Christians. Now, whatever you think of Jesus, you've got to admit that he existed because he did. It cannot be denied. Fact number two, Jesus was killed, was executed by Roman crucifixion. There's, it's, it's in the Bible in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four gospel writers write about the crucifixion of Jesus. And it is also in Roman and secular history. Uh, the, that fact is recorded by no less than four non-Christian historians, who, uh, which include Tacitus, the historian Tacitus, who said that Jesus suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. And the, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was a Jew, but he worked for the Roman emperor, who, who recorded that Pilate condemned him to be crucified. The, just, the, the death of Jesus on the Roman cross is so well, test, uh, so well uh, documented that it is, it's not in question that that happened. Fact number three, the early disciples believed that Jesus had returned from the dead and had physically appeared to them. In the first century now, there weren't any newspapers, there weren't any internet, there wasn't any email, there wasn't any Twitter or any of those things. And so, and, and even most of the population was not uh, educated. And, 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 so, and so information was passed on by word of mouth in Acts chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and those who had been scattered preached the word everywhere they went. The word was, uh, information was, was passed along in those days, mostly by word of mouth, word of mouth. And so the disciples in those days uh, uh, developed some creeds that they recited. One of them is uh, in Romans 15, verse 3 through 4. And the Apostle Paul writes, For I received, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. What, is, what Scriptures is he talking about? He's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. Those are the only Scriptures that they had because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so he's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures that prophesied that, Jesus, that, the, that the Messiah would suffer and die and be raised from the dead. The, uh, uh, the Apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, referred to those Scriptures when he was convincing the, the Jews in, in Jerusalem in that day that they had crucified the Messiah. And uh, Paul, when he went on his missionary journeys, he used those Scriptures to prove that Jesus, who was executed by the Romans, was, a, uh, was the, the fulfillment of, of Messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And one of those is recorded in Acts 13, verse 34 and 35. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David in Isaiah 55. And in Psalm 16, he says, so it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. These are just a couple of the scriptures that Paul and Peter used to convince the, the Jews in those days that Jesus was the uh, fulfillment of the messianic prophecies. Paul continues in Romans 15 after he says that Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures. He says, and that, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And you say, well, what difference does it make? What difference does all that make? Why is this so important that the, the uh, Christians in the early time really believed that they had seen Jesus? Because why, why, why does that convince us that Jesus really died, really was risen from the dead? And here's the reason. Those people suffered for their beliefs. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. They were tortured, and they were killed for their faith, and they never let go of it. There is only one uh, explanation, <clears throat> only one explanation for, the, for this phenomenon, and that is that it really did happen. And there were hundreds of people who personally met the resurrected Jesus bef uh, in that 40-day period between the time that, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven. Then fact number four, fact number four, the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And this is really remarkable. And y'all know the story, and we've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times about Paul, how Paul was persecuting Christians and he left Jerusalem and he got permission to go up to Damascus and he wanted to find some more Christians so he could persecute them, put them in prison. And he was struck blind by Jesus on the road to Damascus uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and told to go into Damascus. And he became, he became a Christian right then. 
He became a Christian because of that event. Uh, he was an enemy Christ, putting Christians in jail. And after he met Jesus, his life was changed in a matter of days. And he faithfully traveled all over the world, enduring hardships and persecutions and imprisonments and stonings. And one time they stoned him and left him for dead. And he got up and went on to the next city. And his willingness to suffer and even die for his faith is recorded not only by Luke in the New Testament, but by non-Bible and first century and second century writers, such as Clement of Rome, Polycarp, Tertullian, and Origen. Paul's instant transformation from persecutor to Christian, to missionary, uh, to Christian missionary, demands an explanation. How could that happen? And the only explanation that makes any sense at all is that Paul really had seen the risen and the living Jesus. If Paul was making it up, what did he have to gain? All he received was suffering and hardship and martyrdom. He really did believe because it really did happen to him. Fact number five, the conversion of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, and you think, well, you know, the, Jesus' brother, surely he believed in him. No, I believe there was a little sibling rivalry going on in their lives. In Mark 3, 20 and 21, <clears throat> then Jesus appeared at a house and, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Then in Mark 6, 2 through 6, where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that's been given to him that, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his own hometown, only among his relatives is his, in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people and heal, a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. John chapter 7, 2 through 5. When the Jewish priest, when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Jerusalem so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him. There's no indication in the Gospels that James was a follower of Jesus. In the scriptures we, we just read, we show that James and his brothers were skeptical. They were even sarcastic. James was not among those that were at the cross. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7 and 8, it says, 
He, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. But he appeared to James, and then what happened? What do you read about James after that? Uh, in Acts 1, James and his other brothers are in that upper room with the believers on the day of Pentecost before the gospel was first preached. Then in Acts 15, Acts 21, and in Galatians, James is referred to as one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And Christians and non-Christian sources say that James died as a martyr. James was changed when he saw his own brother after he was raised from the dead. It really did happen. Fact number six, the tomb was empty. And you might, people might have their own explanation of why the tomb was empty, but there's only one that makes any sense if you really investigate the evidence. And uh, there are two things, two questions you've got to answer here. One is, was the tomb really empty? Or is that just a story that somebody made up? And if the tomb was really empty, what happened to the body? What happened to the body? Okay, we'll read Matthew's account of that event. It's uh, rather lengthy, verse 1 through 15. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to look at the tomb. <clears throat> there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and become like dead men. And the angel said to the woman, women, <clears throat> do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus and he who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. You get the picture here? You get the picture? You got these guards guarding the tomb, and then you have an earthquake, and you have an angel, and you have a tombstone rolled away. Okay, all that. All right, now. <laughs> Jesus meets these uh, ladies. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money 
and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now think about it just a little bit. Just think about it. That's the lamest story that I believe I've ever heard. First of all, think about the guards. How many guards were there? How many guards? Well, it doesn't say, but let's think about it just a little bit. Uh, It said some of the guards went into the city. That means some of the guards stayed at the tomb. So there were more than one, and there were probably, I'm going to estimate, there were probably four to six at least, maybe eight, and possibly more. But uh, think about think about them. What the story says that the disciples came and stole his body while we were asleep. That many guards <laughs> who had been trained not to go to sleep on duty, and all of those guards all asleep at the same time. You know what happened to a Roman guard if he slept on duty? He died. He died. This story doesn't make sense. Now, let's look at the tomb. This isn't the tomb, the actual tomb where Jesus died, but it's similar to it. It had a stone that was rolled away and a stone that was, a stone that was rolled to cover the tomb, which would have had to have been rolled away. And notice that stone rolls downhill. And I believe there was a, a rock to, to scotch it to keep it from rolling back. Even, even though it was rolling downhill. A large stone was, uh, was, was uh, rolled to, to cover the entrance, and that's where, what the, the women were worried about. How are we going to move the stone? Now, the story is that all the guards were asleep long enough and sadly enough that the disciples, the disciples now, who were scared to death when Jesus was arrested and ran away, those disciples came and rolled back the stone and stole the body, all that while they were sleeping. Not to even mention the earthquake. So they sleep through the earthquake, the angels, and the, and, and, and the uh, stone being rolled away and the body being stolen. It didn't happen that way. And notice... When the guards told the priest about the earthquake, the angel, and the empty tomb, the priest didn't deny any of it. They didn't deny it. They were admitting that the tomb was empty. They were just making up a ridiculous story to, to, to cover up the truth. And why would the disciples steal the body and then proclaim him risen from the dead over all the earth and being willing to die for something that they knew to be a lie. People die all the time for a cause that they believe in, whether it's true or not, but people don't die for something that they know is a lie. And so the only explanation that makes sense here is that Jesus did rise from the dead. Notice, now, this, this, part, this part is my opinion. Notice there's no mention of him coming out of the tomb. Nobody saw him coming out of the tomb. I believe 
that the stone was rolled away to show them that the tomb was already empty. That Jesus was already gone. So what did happen to the body? What did happen? Did the Jews, if the disciples didn't steal the body, did the Jews steal the body? If they did, why make up such a story? This ridiculous story that they made up admitted the tomb was empty, and less than two months, in fact, 50 days, after the death of Jesus, the apostles, led by Peter, boldly stood up in Jerusalem, uh, which was just a short distance from the empty tomb, and, and proclaimed that God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact, of the fact, if the tomb was not empty or if the enemies of Christ, the Romans or the Jews, had stolen the body, then all they had to do to stop Christianity right there and so it wouldn't go any further was to produce the body and to show everybody that what Peter and the apostles were saying on the day of Pentecost was a lie. But it wasn't a lie because it was true that they had seen Jesus. Okay, let's look at the facts. Jesus lived. There really was a Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus died on the Roman cross. Hundreds, hundreds of people personally met him after he rose from the dead and 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 in that 40 days, hundreds of people met him and then went over all the world preaching the gospel and telling about the risen Lord Jesus and, and, and even suffering and dying for that faith. The enemy of Christ, Saul of Tarsus, was converted when he met Jesus. Jesus, uh, James, Jesus' skeptical brother, believed, and the tomb was empty. Those are the facts. Those are the facts. There's only one conclusion. Only one conclusion. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose to life. The prophets said it would happen. Jesus said it would happen. Hundreds of witnesses said it did happen. And the tomb is still empty. The only conclusion is another Christian creed. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, <clears throat> that, every, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, your response. If you are willing to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because we at that point, you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. We're buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. And so, if that's your situation, if you're ready and willing to confess Jesus as Lord, now is the time and this is the place. Would you stand and sing? There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for its community. Yeah.